Waitman over his head. Cody Waitman's kicked a miracle goal. Looking for Vandermeer. He can go all the way. Straight man to hit the front. For 10 goals, they call him Bruce. Bruce. Can score towards goal. Bailey Smith as he got the dots in on the final. Bontempelli to seal the game. He's got it. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that is absolutely unashamedly living in the world of Jamari Ugalhagen. My name is Matthew Donald. I'm sure you're familiar with my voice now, the uh, creator of the Salty Bulldog. And of course, I've got my co-host alongside me, Nick Galea. Nick, welcome to the program. I I promise you this one is going to be a lot of fun this week. Uh, hello, everyone. Hello, Matthew. Yes, this is Jamara Ugal Pagan's world, and we are just living in it. Uh, it formerly was Marcus Bonds and Pallies, but you know, I'm pretty happy to see both these uh, particular absolute superstars or potential superstars, at least one of them will be, and they're ours. Imagine just say, just say this to yourself right now, please, Matt, and Dogs fans out there. For the better part of the next decade, we will have Aaron Norton and Jamara Ugal. Hagen, and if you really want to throw it in there, Sam Darcy. Oh, Nick, stop. And stop. just just to keep going with it, there is Tim English. There's probably going to be another, what is it, one of Chris Grant's sons and Rowan Smith's and all these father-son teams. We're going to be the first side to have all 22 footballers by the father-son rule, I reckon. A family club. English and Norton is not a father-son. Family club down in the West. The well, there, there's, there's someone's son. That is true. That's a very, very well spotted. There, <laughs> very well spotted, I reckon. I mean, I, yeah, I thought that. I thought that was well observed on me. Anyway, we, we digress. The Salty Bulldog Podcast is available to listen to wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to listen to any previous episodes throughout the year, or be prepared for any future episodes <laughs> to come along, be sure to subscribe. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Footy Live app via Sportsmate, all of which you'll be able to get the Salty Bulldog Podcast and our social media channels. Go check them out as well: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And our website, www.thesaltybulldog.weeksite.com forward slash home. That's the niceties out of the way. Nick, let's talk about football. Let's talk about one of the best games of the year. I, I, reckon, I reckon it's a contender uh, for game I, of the year this I, one. I was very impressed with uh, Manchester United and Aston Villa on Saturday <laughs> night, to be honest. But uh, the last kick of the game, you know, just right down to the wire right there, I reckon. What, what was the scoreline again? Remind us. That, that was 2-2, apparently that particular one, but uh, there was another football game across the other side of the, uh, of the city and yep. one that we happened to attend. Yeah. So, so I don't know about much about Manchester United, other than the fact that they're dead. This is definitely the summer where they're going to sign everyone and win everything. Like I, I, I know I said that last year, but I mean it this time. I'm, I'm still waiting on Frankie De Jong to, to finally do something, but uh, we'll, we will see if not, I'll have to keep an eye on my Liga team and Bundesliga side. That's what I'll focus on. I reckon. Meanwhile, back at Marvel, 17-8, the Western Bulldogs over Melbourne, the reigning premiers, 15-10-100. Both teams getting over 100 points, leading the way with the goals. Say it with me, Nick. Jamara Hagen with five goals straight. Oh, my it's goodness, a what a performance. Thing. What a performance. I don't know whether I want to try to temper expectations slightly or whether we just say the lid is off because it is interesting to see this. Up until three, up until the, the fourth term, Jamara had two goals, 
he only had the three touches. But sure as heck, when the game was there to be won, he absolutely exploded. Seven disposals. I think it was four marks, probably, give or take. Uh, three goals, of course, including not the one that won the game, but the one that uh, people will remember, most likely. Then again, we'll still remember Garcia's, of course, too, yes. I reckon. Uh, uh, yeah. And McRae's. Oh, geez, that was a fantastic last 10 minutes, actually. That last uh, quarter is going to stick in the minds of Bulldogs fans for, yes. for a very long time. It, uh, it you genuinely mentioned- will. You mentioned a couple of names there. Waitman, English, Norton, and Garcia, each kicking two goals. Waitman's two goals actually, in fact, took him to 27 for the season, which is a, a personal best for him. That's uh, wonderful. It's good. It's nice to have a – still a long way, you know, to go for his career, of course, but it's nice to have someone that you know will hit the scoreboard pretty much most weeks. Yeah. Definitely good for one, can be getting two, and he'll have the odd three, four, five game. Yeah. Money. Yeah, so he's, he's a reliable he's contributor. He's good for 30 a year, which is fantastic to have. Uh, Bontempelli, West, Trelaw, McRae, each getting uh, a goal Bons- as well. Just uh, bon- uh, for one. So let's take him to 21 now for the year. Okay. His personal best is... It's 31, 31 in, a, in a season. Okay. I'm just checking uh, just checking English's numbers. How many goals does he kick this year? Uh, not too many, unfortunately. No, he hasn't. Oh, he's six kicked- or seven. I thought he kicked more than that. He's only kicked seven. Uh, McRae, Bailey Smith, uh, McRae with 29 disposals, so just missed out on another 30. Bailey Smith and Aaron Trelaw with 28. Dale with 27. Bontempelli with 26. The main men finding the football. Oh, I mean, we normally record episodes, Nick, on, on the Monday or the Tuesday, but we just couldn't wait to get this one out. <clears throat> And, and for good Wait. reason, too. For good reason, too. This particular one, it was, it was pleasure being in attendance last night at Marvel Stadium alongside a couple of other friends, one including a Melbourne supporter and one who can't decide whether he supports Essendon or Brisbane. So, and of course, yourself there, too. So, yeah, I was there. I was, <laughs> I, w- I will say this in, in a gentle tone, though. I was personally expecting a bit more people other than the 26,000 or so. I was hoping you would get closer to 35. I think the but, uh, I think the, the the noise of the crowd made up for the lack of raw numbers. It's it certainly did that. Um, it's not that it was a poor crowd, but it's not the crowd we were hoping for. No, it's, not, it's certainly not the crowd that the, the game deserved either. <coughs> no, um, not, not at all. That, not that at all. Um, I I was at, I was at work today and uh, working on a couple of different things, um, both with uh, producers uh, that support Melbourne. And you'll be you'll be interested to note that neither were actually with me. They were they were both working in. Uh, a different uh, location. So probably, probably down to the fact that they didn't actually want to be anywhere near me. Um, but uh, anyway, we, we digress. Let's, let's, let's not waste any more time here. Like let, let's talk about the, the man of the moment. Everyone wants to talk about Jamara right now. He is the talk of the town. He's the toast of the town. He is the, the main attraction right now. The mayor of Footscray. He's pretty much he's pretty much Franco Cozzo 2.0 at this point in time, I reckon. All walks of the game, in terms of no matter who you support, no matter where you where you view in the game, everything is gravitating towards this this young kid right now. So, in terms of what we've been expecting and what we've been thinking that he can achieve at this level, has all been based on the on largely on on potential and what he's done in a handful of games in the NAB under 18 championships going back 2018, 2019. Now, whether you want to argue that it's, it's more than just a handful of games or whether you want to say, oh, that potential was huge. Like he did a lot in those games. That's 
I mean, that, that, that's another, that's a debate we can set aside for another time. But really, we were basing his ability and his potential AFL level off of that. Now we've got something tangible at AFL level that we can point to and we can say, yeah, he can do it at this level. And this is in, what in he can do at this complete, level. In, in terms of a complete, it ironically, it wasn't a complete performance, but it seemed like that final quarter culminated into what the collective game was. It made it out to be a rounded four-quarter effort, more so than a match-winning fourth term. And he still had plenty of good signs that were noticed in the first quarter and the second quarter and the third too. It just wasn't reflected in disposal count well, and opportunities per se. He does take his chances, though. We definitely know that. But it is interesting to see that it just seemed to be a lot of big moments in that final term that he was able to be featured a part of. I've Anyone who's been listening to... to- Salty Bullock for the for the past few weeks, and, and you'll be able to back me up on this one, Nick. I've been saying with Jamara, it's just been little things to start with. Let's just let's just go through a game and just look for signs here and there. Maybe it's a nice tackle, maybe it's a strong mark, maybe it, it's getting on the end of a goal. We're a just looking for knock on, for instance. We've yeah, seen we're just moments chases. We're just looking for little things, and then people will go back to the game against Sydney in round three. There are a couple of little moments there. There were, and there was there was a great tackle there in that particular yep. game. Yeah, there were some really important moments in, in the there last was quarter intent, as well. I might add, it was yep. intense shown. And then we've seen we've seen more of those moments come around again since he's come back into the side against the Giants, against the Hawks, against the Lions. Then we saw some really nice moments against St Kilda, and now we've seen some really nice it, moments it was, littered it, across it, the first three quarters. And then we saw a dominant final term, like a it was dominant a last quarter. It was a better performance from in the Saints game, middle of last week now, than the six disposal tally suggested. Yeah. But it made sense he only got six touches because he wasn't winning a lot of the ball then, but there was a lot of presence about himself. This time now, the presence was reflected in the stat sheet. And you could see, we, we called it out last night too, probably <clears throat> um, maybe after the, his third goal that we saw May go to him. And that's despite there being Bruce and Norton in that particular Ford 50. And Jamara's, you know, parked himself at full Ford and May went there. That was really encouraging. It's a simple thing like that, but it also shows this kid's hot. Let's do something yeah. about him. This, Here's this, a mark of respect. This isn't, this isn't something that you pick up during a match. Like this is something really obvious, like taking a mark and kicking a goal. This is a really subtle sign. But it, as you as you point out, it does say a lot, and I think this is the impact and the effect of having your best side out there and having Josh Bruce back on the side. I mean, mm. Bruce's last two games haven't been huge personally, but the knock-on effect that they have for Norton and Eugle Hagen makes a big difference because I, I if think, Bruce is I think it's Bruce, also his, not just the leadership aspect too, he's a bit of like that general, the one that sets up the pieces, perhaps yeah. you know. They don't gravitate towards him exactly like they might have last year. But he not saying it's just him, but it seems like it's a little bit more organized. Players are now no longer having to crash each other. You you made a mention to me, Matt, earlier this week, um, that Norton and Jamar, there's a bit of that lack of communication where they might be both going for the same mark, don't they? At times. It I, seems I to have dropped off a tad though, hasn't it? With yeah. the return of Bruce, where they now know where to go, who's going up for which ones, who to sit back. It seems to be a lot more organized. I think that ties in with the with the leadership aspect that you refer to. 
the comparison, I'd like to compare this forward line that we saw on Saturday night to the side, and specifically this forward line, to the forward line that we saw against Geelong only a few weeks ago. Now, that forward line had just the one target. It had Norton. And it was a really obvious approach for Geelong to take. And a really simple one. Put your best defender on Norton and then just have everyone sort of drift towards, you gravitate towards that matchup to help out. Because the football is only going to one place. It's going to Norton. There's nobody else to kick it to. Um, it was really easy to defend. But if you've we got... We were calling out for Shaki and Jamara to be brought in for that particular yes. game. Yep. It did happen the week later. Yep. It arguably probably cost us that match, but that really wasn't what effectively cost us that game. That shocking first quarter did. But but immediately we saw we, but immediately we saw a difference. We saw we a still massive difference. We saw a difference because suddenly there's a couple of other options that opposition clubs have to worry about. And now instead of it being Norton, Shacky, and Eugle Hagen, it's Norton, Bruce, and Eugle Hagen. So Bruce starts out with the main defender. Norton with, well, Bruce and Norton share the best two defenders, whichever order you want to put it in. And now suddenly Eugle Hagen's got the third best defender. So he's allowed to be let off the chain a little bit more. And it's exactly as it should be too. He's still a young pup. The responsibility shouldn't be on his to bear. It's incredible that Norton's been able to take the comp by storm though, with with his youth. But still, to be fair, he was playing a lot. He was a lot more ready to play in the AFL than probably most draftees. He's already featured against men back in the waffle. Yeah. Same thing too with Phil Thorpe and Logan McDonald. They played a lot, whether it be in the Sandful or the waffle against ready-made men and they themselves were, you know, equivalent man-childs. Okay. Yeah. They were set to make an impact pretty relatively quickly, you know, due to their size, much like even Ollie Wines, you know, he had the physique. Yes. To succeed well, he, he's, on. Yeah. He's always you know? been a very strongly built yeah. midfielder Wines. But then if you have Eugle Hagen on the third best defender and he gets laid off the chain, suddenly you've got to do something about that. And what do you do? You put your best defender on, on Eugle Hagen to keep him in check. But then suddenly you've got Bruce or Norton on the third best defender. So this is so so people might argue, and, and a, people, a couple of people have been suggesting that you know Bruce isn't doing that well. Mate, can you continue to carry him on in the in the side? He he may not be getting a lot of the football. But his impact in terms of the flow and effect of making it easier for his teammates is arguably as important as him getting on the end of, of goals himself. I mean, how many how many of Eugle Hagen's goals do you reckon? Well, how many how many goals do you reckon Eugle Hagen kicks if Bruce isn't in that side on Saturday night? There's no way he kicks five. No, but that's the interesting thing too, because Melbourne supporters will definitely allude to there being no lever. Okay, but of course, there's a few. Apparently, you know, it's an injury crisis when one or two players from their list is absent. Well, supposedly. That's, that's, no, that's 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 reasonable. So let's so this this win and and as as fun as it is to get carried away with the fact that we've beaten the the reigning premiers, there are a few caveats. There are a few. So firstly, it's it's the Bulldogs coming off an eight day break, v Melbourne coming off a, off a six day break in Alice Springs in a, in a really humid and and physically challenging encounter. I think that's fair. They're also without their full forward and in Ben Brown and their centre half back be, in, in in Jake Lee. To be Lever. fair, Ben Brown hasn't done much this year, so that would have been actually a positive for us had he played. He would still be picked in that side if he was fit. He would be. He would um, be. There's also the um, there's also the fact that it was played on our home ground at, at Marvel Stadium, and I know that's maybe that's not as significant. That's not as significant a factor, but it all adds up. So this and but and but as you say, we've we've had a we've 
you know, they're only they're only two players. Um, but I, I still think this is a huge win. And I don't want to pour cold water over it. No, it I, is I, an what, incredible win in that. But it season, was a, it? it was a, it was a great opportunity. This this is this is what this was. This was an opportunity. Like this was all about timing. We were coming up against Melbourne at a time when they may not be at their best. They may be a little tired off the yeah, previous week. Form wise, form wise, form wise, team wise, they were still pretty solid enough. You know, still, still yeah. nineteen, still nineteen very strong players on that side. No, no, that, give that's or take. true. Yeah, that's true. So, but but, like but still a short. A short turnaround off a off a pretty tough game in unfamiliar conditions, and they're not playing at Alice Springs every week, and they've got a couple of key players in in pretty important positions out, and and we had a we had Norton uh, come back as well, and he got a, a well I think a needed week off. I just think there was a lot of there was a lot of timing involved in in the opportunity. Like it was a great week to play Melbourne, and we took advantage of it, and that's the main thing. Earlier this year and at least in stages of our past in the last couple of seasons, that word opportunity has been something that we have not taken ourselves up upon, isn't it? Whether we've had the chances, unfortunately, like, let me see, this year we've, we've failed some tests, as we know. We failed the Richmond test. We failed the Geelong test. We failed the Sydney test. We failed the Brisbane test. And yeah. It's really, really annoying seeing those things occur. It is nice to see us actually get one up on these situations because it's something that we should be expecting to, you know, to be winning these types of games too. Yep. Not just because, you know, we're you know, supposedly a good side. It's the idea of saying, this is what we're capable of. Why, why can't we do this more often? That's what's been a bit annoying, unfortunately, this with this team because it's been a mixture of a whole bunch of things, whether it has been form, whether it has been injuries, whether it has been certain levels of tactics, whether it just has been a whole a range of, things where players uh, struck down with COVID, for instance, to disrupt the side, whether there's been different situations occurring throughout this season, which have prevented even the mentality of the group to be able to, to put its best foot forward. But it was actually nice to see that, obviously not going to hoping for these things, but like, even if that had been, if that had been a loss, it would have been absolutely deflating. But I would have said at least in that context, that's probably the first time this year that we seemingly have put it for the most part, maybe 90%, 95% all together yeah. in one respective game. Yeah. That's probably something I definitely take a lot out of. Win all loss. And I don't know, what other matches, what would you probably state that we might have done something along those lines of where you can actually say, you know, bar what the opposition team's doing, where you can say, this isn't too bad at all. They're, they're, they're doing what they have to do. They are genuinely working it off and giving it a real, real crack. Any other game this year that you can think of? They're giving it a, a, I mean, I've always said they haven't played badly in many games this year. No, no, but not to the standards that we would have been expecting. Yeah. So to say, to say, have a crack. um, I think they've done that in most games this year. There's been a couple like recently, like I think the Sydney game was really disappointing aside from the second term. I think the second half of the Brisbane game was disappointing. Um, the second quarter of Carlton was very disappointing. But there haven't been many games where they've... they've that, not... that was probably more a system breakdown yeah. more than not having a crack up in that Carlton yeah. game. But there haven't been many, many instances where they haven't they haven't dug in and, and had a go. No, um, no they've had a go. Equally so, there haven't been many games where... Gone to. Yeah, 
I mean, I think I was I was encouraged with the, the response against Hawthorne um, yeah, after as a was really on. rocky as start. Um, obviously, the West Coast game was, was very good, but how much of a how much of a qualifier you want to attach to that is is up to you. Um, if everyone's if everyone was belting them at that time and we did the same thing too, I think it's only fair to say we did what we had to do in comparison to no other side at that time. The first Sydney game, the, the first Sydney game, um, aside from the the goal kicking. That was a very typical 2016 game, that one. Yeah, wasn't it? It it, it did seem like, dare I say this word, it did seem like that desire had returned last night. It did seem a very 2016-esque game where there was a lot of effort put in. Nick, you couldn't breathe. I don't know if you've got the pressure ratings there or the pressure gauge or whatever it is. I'll see what it is. I was hoping to find some actual um, other numbers, but I'll get those up too. I I went home after that game and I watched the replay because I wanted to watch replay. This was was the game that I think made Bulldogs fans feel alive again. This felt That's a very fair point. Yes, the hearts were definitely pumping and uh, also staying still, I think, for a large chunk of it. Can you you think of a... When was the last time you felt like that after after a win in the home and away season? For the home... That's a really good question. For the home and away season, because... Evidently, well, finals the are, semi-final, yeah. Yeah, we, we year, said we said finals away. to one side because they're, they're oh. a different kettle of fish. But home and away games, because I watched that match last night and the pressure from from the go, like from minute one from both sides was through the roof. It, it felt like, I mean, it felt like we would have been breaking all sorts of records in terms of in terms of the pressure gauge. Like it, this felt like a final, but it, this did, but it felt like a, it felt like a prelim. It didn't just feel like a fight. It felt like a really, really high stakes final. Like we're getting really close to, to, the, to the end of the road now. Mm. And both teams just put it, left it all out there. You couldn't that breathe. It was, it was an extraordinary match. It's also, as I, as I think about it, it's the second time this year that we've come back from 27 points down to win. Like Melbourne were 27 points up. Have they? We have they? Them, I don't we think they've to four goals in the second half. Yeah, and this four is exactly that is impressive is, in general. This is what I said last week, Nick. I, I said that if if we were within touch of Melbourne at three quarter time, we would chase them down just because of the of the Alice Springs effect and the six day turnaround. I was very confident about that. It didn't seem like they were run off their feet though, did it? Though we we did, but it didn't seem like they were. You know, it still seemed like it felt like they were trying they, to control yeah, the game perhaps, in yeah. the second half by, by slowing it down. Like, and they were they were really picking and choosing their moments when to sort of when to go, and and the control bursts that they could have were, were only very very brief. Because that third term, we were all over them. How many goals? Like they, I think they kicked two goals late in the third term, but up until then, we were well on top of them. And like, I think they got the I think they got the first of the third term as well. But sort of like there was a 25-minute patch where we were all over them. And the last term they kicked one goal through Pickett. I mean, I mean that was a that, that Pickett could have that was a, could have won the game for them. Off, yeah, for, for them on their own because he kicked that goal and he missed two shots. Uh, one, I think, which would have put them 13 points up with about six or seven minutes to go. That was from 40 meters out. Then they had the yeah. Petrarca weird little dribble kick. Yeah, and then uh, and then Fritch, the um, then Fritch trying to to square up to Neil Bull in the goals. Who Bailey Dale's 
um, spoiled, which is as oh, good incredible. as a spoil you will see. Genuinely, that, yeah, that that's yeah, yeah. I know people like to talk about it with uh, Dennis Committee, but that seriously was centimeter perfect. Yeah, that, that it was, could not be any more better. No, you're right. That that's as, that's as good a spoil as you're going to see ever. And you said there was what five minutes to go, and we were how many points? Two points down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So at that stage, we were two points down um, when Bailey Dale gets that 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 spoil mm. in. I wonder yep. what the rule is. First to 100 wins. How many you know, How many times? Nine out of 10, probably greater than that, I reckon, isn't it? It's the first time in over that five years that uh, a side has got to 100 points second and won the match. It's also the 18th time in his tenure that Beveridge has won a match after trailing at three-quarter time. The previous four coaches, stretching from 2003 to 2014, did it 10 times. So that's in 11 years. We managed it 10 times in the last four coaches with beverage in what, seven, eight seasons. We've done it 18. I mean, he's, 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 he's not perfect. And we've, we've spoken a lot about yeah. beverage this year, yeah. but I'll tell I you what. I was going to ask you, yeah. do you think we're a tad harsh on him still? Oh. Uh, we've got, we're, justif- we're justified in some things, but well, do you think I, I in think, a general sense, we are a bit harsh? I think, I think we can be. Um, and, that, and that's 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 me judging myself here. Um, it, it's sort of it's sort of that thing you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Um, that's the but, question. That is the that is the big question. Yeah, yet. because you see it asked, and you've asked me this, and other people in general have probably thought about it too. The idea of saying, "Okay, it's time to you know to cut ties." All right, who do we get? Yeah, we, we've people, spoken about people, that this people year. People love to say then, oh, let's get Clarko and all these other things. And those things aren't going to happen. So who out there in that in this context, I know people love to say to, to restart, and I've even been guilty of it too. I won't deny that, unfortunately, when this is literally sometimes then and there during a game, then you just sit down and you let the game finish, wait a few hours, let it sit, and then you return to your senses. <laughs> um, yeah. this, this is why this we normally wait a few a, days to, to record yeah. our episodes. So we can yes. actually settle down. Well, I get, I get what it's I get what you're saying though. At this point for and, us, and I feel like I've I've said as well um, at uh, on numerous times that there's still a lot that he does right. If you're gonna I, if you're gonna write down a list of the things that he does well and the things that he doesn't do well, the pros are gonna outweigh the cons. I mean, he's the only coach to get us to 100 wins under his uh, Stuart under his uh, under his leadership. Uh, he's the only coach to, to lead us to multiple grand finals. He's a premiership coach. And he's in, in a very short period of time, he's orchestrated now 18 wins after training the three quarter. That'd have to be a club record as well. Um, so he, he does, he does a lot, right. And, and I, I think it's, I think it's important that, that, yeah, because he's, he's been under the heat the past few weeks from, from ourselves um, and maybe reckon, others as well. But I, I think, I think we deserve to said, give him his. Uh, Mark Webb. Half time because supposedly he had a nice little chat there. Now we go to these uh, fantastic numbers here, and this is something, of course, you won't enjoy. We gave up six goals by center bounces of the eight goals we gave up by stoppages. That is pretty, pretty poor. Okay. Yeah. Now, dare I say it, last year's grand final, we gave up nine, and seven of those came via center bounce. Now I said on Saturday night we gave up we gave up a further six of those. Okay. Now I don't know how many, I can't think off the top of my head, how many goals they probably registered by recent bounce in the second half, let alone maybe even the just specifically the third quarter. 
but it seems at least like four of those six might have come in that first uh, in that first half, I reckon, minimum, possibly five as well. What do you suspect it might have been that Beveridge would have spoken with, you know, our midfield coach Mark Webb then and there? Because something definitely shifted. It, they it weren't did. able to stream through as much, whether it was from a centre clearance itself or whether it was from an actual in general play. It seemed that the corridor was a little bit more congested. Do you know how many of those goals came in the how many of those goals out of the centre bounds came in the second half? I can only think of one of the moments. Go for it. Which one have you got? It was the uh, I forgot who it was. It was Harms. Might have been. Might have been. Oh yes, that's the one. Yes, yes, that's the one. That was yes to where we were uh, sitting up that end. Yeah. Um, and, her, and, and Libba, the, Libba was the only one out of the middle who chased back. We were back. pretty filthy with that. I, I wonder. I wonder if that's that's something that that they said that the running and chasing back needs to improve. Because as soon as the ball sort of got past the first line of defense or, or midfield defense, felt like everyone gave up except Libba. Libba chased and chased, and, and Libba was actually the one who, who sort of laid a half tackle or tackle on Harms like a fraction after he got the kick away. So just on his own, he very nearly stopped that. But no one else, no one else really chased. Not that I could see at least. I wonder if that was it. I feel like there's not enough, there's not enough pressure from the, the midfield. It's sort of it's sort of a bit one way. Look, if we get it forward, it's great. But if 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 we don't win it, it feels like there's if they can, if the opposition, whoever it is, can just sort of slip one hand pass forward, there's an there's a bloke goal side. Who can get on, do invest, get on the end of it and run forward? There's no real defensive of sort of and petrol tickets into that, don't we? Yeah, there's there's it no one who has to win the ball. Yeah, there's no like one who's got that defense. Is that hang back instinct? It? Yeah, yeah. There's no one who's got that natural inclination to just just hang back. Let's get some other numbers up here. So we have the distance run. Uh, you'll find this is very interesting here, actually. Distance run. Uh, Ryan Gardner was the equal most for the dogs, tied with Bontempelli. For 15 Ks. Wow. Found that very interesting right there. That's actually. amazing. That is a lot of ground coverage, isn't it, too? Because yeah. he did play a little bit higher up, too, at times. Yeah, he wasn't he's, always he's the deepest still a, defender. He's still a defender. Hmm. What is he? Sprint efforts. Here we go. Something that people won't notice as much and probably uh, respect. Can't give you all the numbers, unfortunately, but what we've got here is, at least for the dogs, we've got Mitch Hannon leading us with 21. And we've got... Jason Johannesson with 18 as the next best for us there. That's just for total sprint efforts. If I can try to find out a couple of others, give me a second here. Uh, where are we? Where are we? And JJ also the lead for us with repeat of those efforts with three of them. So it's a lot of work rate going on there too. Mm-hmm. We like seeing as well the likes of, uh, or even the, dare I say it, uh, Robbie McComb too. When he came on, he did actually show a lot of, Aggression with his, Actually, his running going forward. Did you okay? see when the game was there to be won? Did you see his his involvement in the Garcia goal? I did indeed. The shepherd for Dunkley. Well, not just the shepherd, but he actually got he he was so he was running towards the contest. Dunkley was running away from the contest, and they were both running for mm-hmm. the same ball. And what McComb did is he actually stepped out of the way and cleared a path for Dunkley to get Very it to get the ball and run out into space. Very interesting, that. Now, I know that McComb isn't everyone's cup of tea, but that that's sort of out for me. That's really smart football. 
I'm trying to wonder too, there was another play where you and I were noticing as well. Um, it might have been probably before that though. And it was with Karmas and it was with, was it with Dunkley as well? Where one of them was trying to, to get the ball going on. I think Karmas was the one that knocked the ball forward. Is this we had to go in the last quarter? This was in the last quarter along, literally along that, uh, the right part of the center square. That was also yeah. another crucial moment there as, as you know, in sync with McCombs later onwards in that term. Two yeah. exceptionally big moments there. And they both registered goals. He had to go then, didn't he? Didn't he they come both us? had to go. They all went. Yeah. No, that, that was that was really important as well. They were, they were both really important mm. contests and, mm. and deserve to be highlighted because, you know, they're, they're not going to go down with any sort of stats. But it just goes to show that equally as important as knowing when to go is, is knowing when not to go. Yeah. Particularly in the case right of McCombs. Because we were wondering too, potentially, and, and people would rather us, and I know you might have, I know I certainly did at times too, that uh, the idea of McComb being the medical sub. Now, in a tight game, we're a bit unsure of what might have been going on there, you know, in the coach's box, because you need, you know, poised players and those that know to cope under pressure. He did his job. You mentioned Karmas as well. And I'll tell you what, there, there, there were so many encouraging signs in the, in the back line as well. Like I know Karmas had a couple of moments, um, but I'm, I'm really liking his, his progression down back. He had some really good moments in, in that back line. He, he played a massive role in the second half as well on, on Fritz. I know he didn't spend the, the whole second half on him, but I think he was part of a defense that worked really well to keep Fritz out of the game, who was probably the most dangerous forward Melbourne had. In fact, he was the most dangerous forward that, that Melbourne had. And then, and then there was the game of Trelaw as well, who's um, who, who came off with that that calf injury that allowed McComb to to came, come on late in, in the game. I wonder with with Trelaw because um, we we questioned putting him in the back line a, a few weeks ago, and I have to say, he's just, I think he's made to see our words. He was he was excellent. Um, it's he was, he was our best knock, player. It's not a knock on him not being able to adapt to it. It's just whether the move made sense. It's not a knock on his football ability to be able to adapt to certain things. Does it now? Whether it was Does it make sense now? suited there. In terms of what he offered, this is prior to these particular games, he had the leg speed. He had the ability to weave out of traffic. He had the line-breaking ability. He had the ability to spot up kicks. There's a lot of positives there. The fact is he can also mark above his head too, which is also pretty good too. He's able to neutralise those contests if need be. It's just probably because we just see him better as a more offensively minded player. But it's amazing though when he used to be as a as a wingman at the Pies or even as an as a as an inside mid there, he still was a very talented and encouraging runner up and back too. So there was always the defensive elements to his game. You don't have to do a lot of that type of running down back, but it's again knowing when and where to go. And we've seen that he's been able to do that on occasions too, though. What do you reckon about the idea of him remaining in the back line and Caleb Daniel playing somewhere else when he returns. That has caught my attention. And that probably has caught up a lot of people's attention near that remark. I think it is a very, very astute idea. It's something that it's not that we don't need Daniel down back. It's something that's been thought of for a little while now, hasn't it? Despite this, even though there's been success with Daniel Dunbar, I think there's been there's been fleeting, the to, yeah, there's been fleeting suggestions of it. But but you you've always sort of run into the stumbling block of okay, but then who takes up Daniel's position? But Trelaw's mm-hmm. sort of doing that now. 
I'll throw up another name, not to put him down there, but it was interesting that apparently, just to touch on um, one of our other teams, the VFL, apparently McLean featured down back. Okay. It is interesting. That 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 I didn't notice. I could ask around about that, though. Um, but I didn't notice that. I thought he had a good game, though, McLean, in the, in the VFL. I wonder how long it's going to be until he comes back. Because he's a neat player as well. I wouldn't say he's overly quick or, or has those line-breaking abilities of, of the likes of Trelaw or, or Daniel. Uh, but he's a, he's a, or Dale. Or Dale, but he's a, he's a good... Or Richards. There's, there's a lot of line-breakers, isn't there? Yeah, there, there are. Nice. No, but it, but it is, it's a very particular defence now. And we've lost a couple of players, of course. Wood and, and of course, Crozier's just fallen off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Those are two very defensive players. Throw in Jure. There's the elements of at least three players that are very capable of locking onto a man. Now, we've had offensive players in Daniel. Dale can, but we know he also is still capable of defending. Throw in Richards, who actually can legitimately defend. It does help a lot now, doesn't it? Yeah. Having those types of players. So Dale can defend because he can break through things, but he also is not the worst tackler. Richards, though... I think he's made a lot more of an impact, not just via that particular intercept marking too. It seems like he knows how to play pretty tight to an opponent. He's a very well-rounded so. defender. He's a very well-rounded defender, isn't he? Yeah. It's, yeah it's, it perfectly makes sense that he's down there. I mean, it's not that we've been calling for it, but it, it does. It actually wonders why. There's still always a method of madness to beverage. And I do wonder what the last couple of years, or 2019 and 2020, of keeping Richards up higher ever since that particular Port Adelaide game in 2018. Yep. I still wonder what the heck was going on there. But there's obviously reasons for it. Uh, hmm. Let's go from, let, let's transition from the small men and let's talk about the biggest bloke on the ground uh, who I think it, I think it was a tale of oh, two well, halves. Our biggest bloke anyways, anyways. Well, uh, he may not be on the list anymore. Um, the, the biggest bloke. Uh, I think Sam Darcy has eclipsed him. Uh, but, of mm. course, we're talking about Tim English, who was the tallest bloke on our side on the night. And a lot of people thought he had a ripping game. I reckon it was a tale of two halves. I don't reckon his first half was that impressive. A tale thought... of 1.5 versus 2.5 quarters. That's <laughs> okay, we'll go That's with that. That's minor, right? I'll go with that. We'll go, we'll go can, with can, that. I give him, can I give him half a vote? <laughs> <laughs> I, think you've, I think you've asked me this question before, Nick. Um, and the, the answer is no. Uh Although that was a, the answer was no. Maybe I've mellowed out a bit since then. I might be more inclined to give you half a vote now. Anyway, I didn't think English's first half was impressive. I didn't think he had a real impact on the ruck. I, I thought he dropped a lot of marks. But I felt like the turning point was when he kicked that running goal. He got the it hand pass from very, Gardner. Very great goal. But I think that changed the, the, the pressure. The lead up to that mark, though, from Gardner too. Yeah. That was very well done. Persistence. But I, I think from there, I, I just think the penny dropped for English because then we saw then we saw someone who was who was marking everything. I I saw him; he was going for marks with one arm, sort of sort of after the flailing, going uh, sort of backing out of contests and going at it a bit half-hearted, not being quite sure whether it was it was right to go. But once he kicked that goal, Nick, everything changed. He was flying for everything. I think it was different. And he too. clunked everything. I think it was different in the sense as well that even those particular marks that you're speaking of there, they weren't always in the defensive half. They weren't always, say, intercept marks. They were actually us kicking the ball 
up into the midfield, for instance, up into the forward half of the ground, and him taking those marks that connect the arcs. That's what I want him to see. We can't deny that he's not a, you know, that he's a sound intercept mark across the ground as a defensive ruckman. It's the element of him becoming an attacking ruckman. I'm not just talking about him being plonked in the four line, making his opposing ruck candle. I'm saying you're a tall bloke. The ball's going to be kicked to you. You need to be the one that helps the ball move forward. Yeah. You need to connect those arcs together. You know, be that key, for instance. A link man, like a tall link the, man. Exactly. And that's exactly what he's meant to play as at ground level. Yeah. Now you've got to add that, you know, in the air, which is what he can do. And that helps us control, you know, Derek, you know, the skies in, in this sense, you know. Particularly playing, important you know, sort of, when, yeah. when you're sort of playing against two Ruckman in terms of uh, uh, Gorn and, and Jackson. Ten it's, marks for English. Gorn is a very, very good Ruckman yeah. in the air. Gorn's a great Ruckman. I'm talking specifically, you know, marking-wise, offensively and defensively. And to Ten. be matching that, that's what's important. Ten marks he took English. Four contested. How many? Thank you. Four six, contested, was it? Six intercept. Uh, which was ranked number one on the ground. On the ground. Hmm, that is interesting. Do you have, uh, what else have you got there uh, in terms of the possessions? Where were the majority of his touches? Uh, so he had 20 disposals. I don't have the, I don't have exactly will, where he picked up most I of them. I will tell you in a second. Give me a second. Yep. Uh, one, two, three, four. He had five in the defensive half, just the two in the attacking section. But it seemed like there were a fair few uh, disposals collected uh, genuinely in the actual sensor circle. Yep. And there were a fair few, um, whereas uh, where his heat map is definitely quite hot, uh, along the wing. But that's that what he's always good. been. He's always been a tall midfielder. It doesn't surprise me that he's getting a lot of his possessions through mm. the midfield. Mm. Just the two score involvements, which is very interesting, though. So he's not the one that's obviously getting it inboard, but it's interesting to say that he might have been the one that would have so set he doesn't, up he doesn't need chains. to be. Yeah. No, but that is very interesting, too. I reckon. I don't know what his average is this season, to be fair. I'm going to look that up. I, I fear we didn't talk enough about Ugelhagen. Um, how good was that last goal he kicked? Can we just, can we just, just let's just talk about the last goal. His last quarter was phenomenal. My second favorite moment was when he, he sort of. He sort of he slipped through the two Melbourne defenders leading up to Mark with the ball. We've both cried out Mara in unison, and he's gone <laughs> and he's gone out. That was a great mark. It was a great mark from yeah. Hannon. The Hannon cannon delivering yeah. it inside 50. Very accurate cannon. What type of key forward is he going to be? So Josh Jenkins was on was on SEN and he compared Eugle Hagen to Jeremy Cameron. So he's going to be a Jeremy Cameron type forward. Now, he, now it's now that he's, he didn't say he's as good as Jeremy Cameron was in his second season. Jeremy Cameron, sixty-two goals, I think, in his second season. And Hugo uh, Hagen's on twelve. Well, was he on fifteen? Fifteen at the in moment. Twelve yeah, games. A, a bit of a way to so go. He's, he's just he's just got to kick another. He just has to kick another forty-seven goals in the next four matches. Oh, it can be done. It's he can done win before. the Coleman with that. He can yeah. win the Coleman by that, didn't he? So, what time? Turner to kick only less than five. What time of forward? Do you, do you see those comparisons? Do you do you agree with that, or do you, do you see another forward, or can you think of another forward that that might be a better comparison? Because I really like the Cameron one because he's not going to be that sort of he's not going to be a Tom Hawkins for forward. He's not, and I, I don't really think he's going to be. And I know there's been comparisons, but I don't think he's really going to be a Lance Franklin type forward either. And I, let me I let me be clear closer. that I'm saying that I'm saying type. 
I'm adding type no, on we're the talking, end of these names. No, no, we're stating that he'll be a thousand goals right now. We'll say that right now. Because there's it's different kidding. there's different types of full forwards. There's the Tom Hawkins mm. full forward. There's the Jeremy Cameron full forward. There's the there's the uh, the Max King full forward. The Harry Mackay full that's forward. That's not what. Yeah, that's not what yeah. uh, Jamar is going to be. What's, uh, what type of full forward is he mm. actually going to be? I do think he'd be closer to a Cameron more so than uh, sorry more closer to a Franklin than an actual Cameron. Okay, by my definition. Why do I you think, think that? I don't. I'm just I'm just curious. Why do I think that? I think that technically, because I believe Cameron's game is greater revolving around more below the knees more so than above, and Jamara's got better strengths in terms of marking the ball, and that's his best asset. But Franklin's never been a Big overhead mark, no, though. No, so that's very picky in certain things. I'm saying I wonder because Franklin's gramble game is not as good as Cameron's. So I'm going to compare that in that sense. Okay. So I think that there's probably the more well-rounded aspects. I don't know. They're both exceptionally agile. Franklin probably moves a lot more smoother, whereas Cameron seems to have a bit more, I don't know, how would I describe it? Giraffe-like? Yeah, probably. Let's, let's just go with that word. I can't think of a word yet, but let's stick with giraffe-like. Um, I don't know, but it seems like something more explosive is going to happen when Franklin has the ball, where it's more like oh, a ticking yeah. time bomb, but where it's more like a ticking time bomb, whereas Cameron, things just tend to happen very quickly. It seems like Jamara might be one. I'm not talking playing. So I'm talking playing-wise, not what they actually have. It seems like they tend to, to size up what is ahead of them a bit more. So they play on instinct in a, in a slower way more so than run-gun type sense, which is what I think Cameron tends to do. Um, I, I, just, I wonder, though. I, 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 wonder. Can't, I can't get over that last goalie kick. Like that's, I wonder. That's, that's, that's fine. That's the, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the poster boy favourite goal yeah. of the year. Oh, that has to be. Yeah, I wonder. When was the... Besides that, think of a moment before that one for this respective year. What's actually got you off the seat before that moment? Has anything this year actually done that? Nothing immediately springs to mind. Although the first goal that, that I did think of was English's running goal against Richmond. Hmm. For some reason, that that one. Um, I mean, there were a couple against Melbourne in the first game of the year, but I don't know whether that was just the excitement of being back. I actually compare it. I actually think it's, uh, and it, this is another goal against Melbourne, actually. Marcus Bontempelli's winner against Melbourne. It's got that sort of feel about it, doesn't it? Like the All right, arrival. so we've got a robbed rising star and we've got a potential captain in five years' time. Awesome. Well, I mean, it just got the, it's, got, it's got that sort of star is born type feel to it, doesn't it? It's been simmering. It's been simmering. Yeah. People think that he's played poorly. He hasn't. Check out his last six weeks. But Fontapelli has been taken simmering as well up until that point. He's taken 25 marks in the last five rounds, including, so this is including Saturday night. Yep. He's taken 24. If you factor out last week's, uh, what was it? Only one mark effort, ironically, against the Saints. So 24 in four games. How many contested did he have last night? Just the one, I think. But... I wonder, do you have marks inside 50, please? Yeah, he uh, took three marks inside 50, which was a team okay. high. Give me a second. In fact, it was an equal game high. The only other person who took three marks inside 50 was Pickett. Uh-huh. But, as you, but you're right, six marks, uh, but only one Where's of those contested. So say that again, three, you said. So that's 19 for the season. 
inside 50, that is for the dogs. Now, let me just see what I can find. That, uh, do you know how many Waitman got, please? Uh, so Waitman, I... Marks inside 50. Don't think he took any. Okay, that means Jamara has now moved to second of the club this season for Marks inside 50. It's a small figure, only 19, but, you know, it's better than... It's approaching, technically, or mathematically, it's approaching two marks a game inside 50, which is fantastic, and it's on par then in average sense with Aaron Norton. Okay, for Decent this company. Season, anyhow. In Decent this company. Because so, Norton's got... How many did he take on how many did he take yesterday? One or two up forward? Did did he take any up forward? I wonder. He might have had one. Oh, he did maximum. take one. He did take one. Tell you uh, what, okay. he, he's, he's struggled against Melbourne aside like in recent years, Norton. So I think two goals is a great return for him. I know he and kicked four a, in round one, but he kicked one in the ground. That was from line. ground ball. Get that. that was a lot yeah. of ground ball gets. They're very yeah. similar types of players, Jamara and Norton, I reckon. They, they they have a yeah, there's a little similar bit similarities. I mean, the other thing is I wouldn't ever I wouldn't ever advocate for putting Jamara down in our back, but you know. I've, I've seen <laughs> people throw an idea up. I, I know, I, I know, and I, an I, idea. I I mean I never get putting forwards in the back line. Defenders in the back line, yeah. I mean, I can get it, I can get it behind that idea, but I don't know about forwards in the back line. Let, let's move on, Nick. Let, let's get some questions because I mean we unless there's anything else you wanted to to cover particularly. In terms of the the AFL, we look. We could see him talk about Jamar all week if we wanted to. We can talk about a lot of things. We'll even still find conversations to talk about uh, Luke Cleary and Lewis Butler. I reckon. I think we're that capable of doing that. But we'll see. <laughs> well, let Let's go there. So here's here's one question from uh, Mitch Wynn, who's actually got a, a couple. He, he asked us to give a, a shout out for Team English's contested marking in the last quarter. Tom it Boyd was exceptional. It was exceptional. Yeah, I think I'll have to watch it again because I, I sort of just want to watch Jamara's last quarter. His last quarter. It was it was similar to the first seven minutes of the St. Kilda match. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm going to send you something so that you put it up with the actual podcast link too. Okay. Okay. You will enjoy the uh, the graphic. Everyone right, yes. can have a look at it. Please do. And speaking of Tom Boyd, uh, you did notice that uh, there was a sort of a McLean on the shoulders of Boyd moment again. Yes. It was Richards on Eagle Hagen. Oh that was a beautiful goodness. thing, and the arms were spread out too. That that That's that, even better. that photo of of Eaglehagen with his arms out to the crowd on the flank. That's 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 already Bulldogs folklore sort of stuff. That 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 will go down. That as one of the iconic grabs, I reckon. Some brilliant photography there. Uh, anyway, back on to the question from Mitch Wynn. How many games do we allow Josh Bruce to shake off the rust? Happy to keep playing him, but how long does the ACL comeback grace period last? Well, this is a good question. And I don't think there's a hard and fast answer for it. I think it's cliche to say that every player is different. Um, but I think that that's really the case. I mean, we saw Liber in, when he did his ACL. He came back in 2016 and he hasn't lost any speed, though. That's the thing. No. Liber looks like he's kept it. That's the tricky part for Bruce, though, because a lot of his game was based upon being a workhorse. Now, that's running power. That doesn't mean leg speed. I'm talking his ability to yeah. push off and be able to, to, to break away from then. Unfortunately, that seems to have been zapped a little bit. And because of his weight, you know, his size and his height and all these things for the role that he plays, it's a very, very demanding, you know, task for, for, for players of that type of style. So it generally will probably take, unfortunately, a lot longer. We might not even see the best of Bruce at all for this year. Um we just got to hope that it just uh, comes back nice and, and proper for, for 2023. But we alluded to it earlier this episode, the benefits of keeping him in the side too. Yeah, yeah now, that's, let's, that's let's what just, I would let's say. Let's just state yeah. this. 
let's just state this. Okay, let's say he goes has a poor next couple of weeks. That doesn't mean we want this to happen. And it doesn't mean we're stating, look, if he does nothing, we have to keep him in. But there are still reasons that suggest that he still has more to offer, just you know, potentially doing nothing than, than in comparison to certain other players on the side. Let's say we go back to Sweet, okay? And that's good on him. So we, we're, we're big fans of Sweet in different mm-hmm. ways. He went four, at the full forward line. He's not going to really do anything. Doesn't okay. inspire confidence. You don't. He's not the sort of guy no. that. All right, we've got to. We've got to make sure we've got someone good on him. Yeah, because for all, for all of Sweet's him. capabilities, he's not someone that threatens the full forward. Bruce does, regardless of whether he's coming back from an ACL or otherwise. Like Bruce is someone who can kick goals. Throw in a Shacky, and we're big fans of Shacky too. Yeah, let's say Shacky's a part of the three tools, and you, if, to have a, a successful forward line, including Shacky and Jamara. And at the point in time in the past, Norton, it's got to be exceptionally quick ball movement that doesn't allow packs to be formed. It needs one-on-one separation, which allows for hit-up kicks, yeah. hit-up targets. He's not going to be able to wrestle now, anyone out of the way. No, now and particularly games like last night, and which is what the case would be come finals. That's not the way Shaky's going to want to play. Now he's done it before in different senses, and so we are big fans of him too. But he's uh, his task of getting back into the side has got exceptionally harder now. Um, so Certainly as a forward. Reasons, so as a forward, yeah, good call, good call. As a forward, yes. Now, his best, his most important football, uh, probably is as a forward for us, but his best football has come down back. So we'll still see what is the case there with him. I wonder, I wonder. Keep it as it is with Bruce uh, and the forward line still for the rest of this year, unless something genuinely drastic has happened. Speaking of keeping things the same, Marius Sternus. Uh, asks the question, do we keep the team as it is or do we tweak? Now, Mm. I wouldn't be making any unforced changes. The only change I reckon would be if someone gets injured or if someone can't play for for health and safety protocols or whatever. But I think if if, if that 22 is fit, you name them again. Because who deserves to get dropped? No one played badly. There wasn't one person I can look at and go, oh, no, I didn't, didn't really like his game. I thought everyone played well, really. Oh, every everyone played well. Hmm. And even if, and even if they, and and I mean, the only except you you might make an exception for Bruce. He didn't play well. He only had two disposals, but he has, but he he allows Norton and Eugle Hagen to play it well. And we we discussed the, the leadership elements too. Yeah. As well. Plus, there's a lot of credits in the bank still for him. We saw how good he was last year. This is a bloke that has kicked, you know, 200 plus goals, 230 odd goals, and uh, was our leading goal kicker last year, despite missing the final uh, six matches for us. The, the only other name that that comes to mind. Did Johannesson play in the back line a bit in the second half? I will tell you. Give me a second. Give me a second. Yeah, just because I, I thought someone suggested that because he only had the eleven disposal. I know you said he, he put in a lot of hard yards, but he just didn't get the just didn't get the the output that that sort of effort deserves. It seemed to, in terms of disposals where they were recorded, anyways, it was definitely along the the far side, so opposite to the interchange bench. It was more the uh, what let's just call it the right wing. Okay. Yep. To the to the Bulldog cheer squad end, that our particular right wing. That's where he got a lot of the ball. Okay. So still went at 91%. Only the one intercepted, three turnovers there. But it is interesting to see what he does because he does need to get involved a bit more, you know, whether it's pressure act wise. So if he's not 
playing that particular pressure type then. And that means he's arguably probably not playing as that small forward then, wouldn't he? He'd be probably playing again yeah. more as a halfback. We're not doing a lot of chasing per se. You're trying to get them to chase you're, you. Yeah, you're, you're creating it all. Yeah, I, I, I wonder. Don't, I don't that's wonder not where the that. ball was won, though. A lot of the ball was no. won pretty much between the, I said the right wing specifically, that area. There's probably at least eight of his 11 touches there. Is, is he out of contract this year, Johannesson? He is at the end of that five-year deal. He signs mid, mid to late 2017. 2017. Still has a house in, uh, was it now or some new house apparently uh, oh, in sure. the Western suburbs. So I uh, wouldn't be suspecting anything there, but... Um, I just get the feeling that he won't be signing a deal worth $600,000 a year this time around. Yeah. Guesstimations, but yeah, give or take mathematically. It might have been it might have included a lot of triggers, perhaps. Who knows? Or might have been a base wage. But yeah, well, he's been looked after and he's a pretty popular member across the group and the fans too. We all love him. Now nonetheless. Nick, so we'll see what happens. Nick, I've got an addition to make to the to the Bulldogs drinking game. Now drink responsibly, of course. Oh, um, so here we so here we go. So so every so I have a drink every time the opposition takes an inset mark. Uh, this is a little day this one. Any, any commentator mentioning Will Hayes and horses in the same sentence? Uh, the phrase the dogs love to flick it around by hand is used. Someone says this is how they played in 2016. Um, Marcus Bontepelli misses a set shot. We can see the soft goal at the back. And Alex Keith ends up in the hands of the trainers. <laughs> and a couple of people have noticed this as well. Is Keith okay? Seems physically sore a lot on the field. I don't think that guy goes five minutes without being in the hands of the trainers over something uh, these days. Now he said he caught a, a knock in the in the neck. I think it was. He said that on um, that uh, on SCN's Crunch Time on Sunday, and said he, he might have overplayed it a little bit. But I've noticed that a lot. I don't think there's been a game this year where he hasn't had like three trainers swarming him over some some ailment, which makes me think that we really need to get a couple of key backs in there now. Feels like he's being just sort of stuck together with duct tape every week and just chucked out there. I'm glad some people have noticed that as well. Ah, uh, jeez, it's a very fair point. I cannot believe it actually how often it happens now. Uh, it is very it. very unique. Remember when we said if he goes down last year because no, at any point we're, we're not going to mention that <laughs> that i couldn't believe literally that happens and then bruce goes down the week after and there goes our key position players yeah, we and we were stuffed foot. yep and yet we still nearly want to flag here's an interesting question <sighs> a more a more serious one we'll go to the serious one and then we'll get to the fun one actually no there's uh there's, there's three questions there's one that's serious there's one that's kind of nice to think about and then there's a fun one so from Byron Bay Bulldog, why was Hunter not in the side? Will he be the traded A-grade midfielder um, at the end of the season? So that's from Byron Bay Bulldog. And I think that implies that there's been some rumor that we will be trading an A-grade midfielder. And I'm not quite sure I've heard anything about that other than just sort of speculation about maybe offloading one to try and um, bring in a key defender or a player of, of a position of need. I've not actually heard that that's going to happen. Um, but of course, yeah, Hunter was, was, uh, came out of the side last week due to health and safety protocols, which is all well and good. Wasn't named in the AFL side. And I, and I said this to you at the time, Nick, I, I said in the lead up to that St. Kilda match that I would consider dropping him anyway, based off a of form. Cause I didn't think he did that much in the two games that he, that he'd spent back in the side and he's come back in the VFL and to his credit, he had a pretty good game. He had 28 disposals, 10 marks. 
20 kicks. Um, mind you, the conditions weren't great. I would, if the right offer came in, and I was talking about with, uh, this with you on Saturday, I would consider letting him go if the right offer came in. If a good deal came through, someone wanted Hunter, I'd, I'd consider letting him go. Because this is a very deep midfield. And you sort of countered this a bit last night when we discussed this, but I think since the start of last year, his form has tapered away significantly. At the end of 2020, it has. It has. at the end of 2020, he was, we would, we would, I mean, we weren't doing the podcast then, but his absence from the side and then his return to the side showed he was probably the most important player in the side. So he's gone from that to can't even get a game within, what, 18 months. That's it is quite weird because he was a player that was top six in the league, I said, for, for goal assists. And yet, I don't know, it, doesn't, it seems like with the idea of, ironically, maybe Richard's development down back, who offers a lot of defensive power running. Factor in again, Dale. And then you throw in Williams being reinvented on the wing. Mm. There's still that spot, the opposite wing, but ideally you want them to be attacking. Now, not that Williams isn't an attacking player, but he's a defender first and foremost. Okay. And he does know how to drop back and, you know, like Trelaw would be an attacking winger. Trelaw is an attacking winger, but he's got defensive elements to his game, which is incredible. That's, probably, that's why he's been playing down back then, which strangely does make sense now. But I wonder. I'd would still you, be keeping Hunter. He's got two years to run. Okay, I'm not giving him up for peanuts. I'd still be looking to, to back no, things but up. No, uh, but that, that, that could be used to, to our advantage as well if a club did come calling that they would have to give up a fair degree. We're not just talking about like a second or third yeah. round pick. Like if, if they really wanted it. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. What he's worth now is not what we would give him up for, I think, unless we genuinely had something already. What do you reckon away. he's worth now? Like, and this is, this is as much about his contract status and that you have to overpay to get a guy. He's still got two years to run. Uh, I've got a, I know, early third. Mid third, an early which is third. A real shame, yeah. So. For uh, someone who's still got two years to run on his deal, football than that. Yeah, I, I just find it very interesting. I, a, I think that's... I'm not a fan of giving up players for cap space, especially when we know that they can play football and they. But are this isn't this isn't about cap space. Though. Essential. I don't think about cap space with this. I think about the fact that he's a very good player, but he's not playing. Hmm. But he but his form has fallen away a lot in the last last couple of years. And he's obviously had his own. He's had. He's this had, year's, this year's had a very different. Yeah. This year, football has not been the priority for different reasons. I obviously none of us are privy to that sort of information. But look, I'd be saying let it roll. Let's see how we go in twenty twenty three. Okay. Uh, I, I, think I think that's. I think I think that's fair. But I think that's fair. But like, if an offer, if a did, if a good offer did come in. I think you'd have to have a look uh, at it now. But a club's got to be willing to offer that now. And I tell you, if you were a neutral club, you wouldn't be offering that. Well, maybe that's the would. thing too. Yeah, I suppose. That's the thing too. But who knows what clubs are thinking? Some clubs pay other clubs to take their best place off their books. So, you know, who knows? Anything yeah, it's is a very possible. Strat- smart thinking. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it works out. <laughs> um, here's one from Matt Osgood uh, at Palmy Bulldogs One, one of our regular question askers. Simple question. Obviously, we have to make the finals still, but can we win it if we do make it? So let, let, let's break down the ladder firstly. So that 
so I, I, I was sort of, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking of the next three games leading into this one, Melbourne, Geelong, and Fremantle. I, I felt like we had to win at least one of them. And we, said, we, we've got we've got that I win now. I said two. In terms of us to be doing something of note, I said two. I'm thinking just to make the finals. I was thinking just fair to make enough, the finals. Fair enough. That we had to get you, one you of those three. You know how my mind works, don't you? You know how yeah, my mind I, I know, works. Yeah, I know where you're going with it. You're talking about, you know, what we can actually achieve in finals. But I'm just sort of thinking yeah. about, like, just getting in there firstly. So I think we had to win one of these three. We won one of these three. And then that's making the assumption that the Giants and the Hawks in the last two games, we knocked them over. I suddenly think that the Fremantle game in a fortnight's time is very winnable now. All of a sudden, that one that one feels like that's a, that's a, that's a really winnable match. Suddenly, everyone, get your ladder predictors out now. I know I'm going to be doing mine as, as we speak. So at the moment, we're level on points with St Kilda, but we have a massive percentage advantage on them. So it's effectively another game's worth, and we're two points ahead of Richmond because Noah Cumberland couldn't run in a straight line, uh, and uh, what's his face, Noah Bolter couldn't count. Something for the Noahs at Richmond. Uh, they so had they, no idea, mate. They had no idea. <laughs> so they've got to... I reckon Richmond have to win. Well, if we win two games, Richmond have to win three of the last four. And they've got... An, and they've got a... Uh, they've got Brisbane at the MCG, which you seem to think they'll, they'll win pretty comfortably. They've got Port Adelaide at Adelaide. They've got Hawthorne at the MCG. And they've got Essendon at the MCG. And Hawthorne and Essendon, I know we've got to play Hawthorne as well, but they're not walkovers. Not anymore. No, no, they are not, unfortunately. I've been enjoying no, seeing them outside of the age, and hopefully that keeps happening. But we'll see what happens. Do you think we can win it if we make finals? I've got my doubt still. It's still always got to be the top four. That's the thing. Yeah. Can they get there? Is this team out of all the sides that are that would be outside of the top four, who is the most likely to get to the grand final, it would probably be us. Yes. The question is, do we really have it? Look, this year would be a little bit easier for people. We've got plenty of practice last year. So at least we can rely on that experience to uh, to have to need to win four matches again. <laughs> but um, It's been done before. Oh, it's it's been almost done been before. done we twice do before. Oh, what do you and- do? And finally, from another regular, Dr. Jason Suits at Moon Patrol 33, where do you rank this win in the Telstra slash Eddie Hat slash Marvel era? That is a great question. The, the Essendon win of 2000 comes to mind. That, that's gone down in history. That's one of the greats. There, it's a, it, this is right up there. This is an instant classic, this game. We're talking specific. We're talking wins, aren't we? Uh, um, well, because unfortunately, there's been some losses that have come down as classics as well. Yeah, yeah, no, that that that's fair as well. That's that's fair as well. And there have been a couple. I think the the Hawthorne one in 2016 was a terrific match. Um, there was the Geelong win with Harry Taylor's miss after the siren. That was uh, another that, great game. That that night still scares the bejesus out of me. You and I almost <laughs> just had a heart almost, attack that we night. Almost I lost it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was sort of that sort of run where we just had a bunch of close games. Uh, I can't think of many games that that would top this one in, in the last sort of twenty years. There was the North game in two thousand and three where we kicked what was it? Well, we lost by eleven points and we kicked one hundred forty five to 12 Yeah, I reckon it was. I think it's our I think it's our highest ever score in a loss in history. Um, 
that would we were about 40 points up at one stage in the third term and we still lost. We were up about a lot of points that year for particular matches, weren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. Um the uh the the North Melbourne match last last year with Bruce Kick 10, that was pretty special. But I can't think of many I, I, I think in terms I of still games. I think the, the Robbins mark. Ah, yes, that's the other one, the the Brisbane game. The week week before, I reckon, I don't know if it's one of the great classic ones, but I still enjoyed that Geelong game um, where Eagleton kicked four in uh, round 17, 2005. Uh, Let's have a look. There might be one to... I'm sure there'll be a couple of other ones, surely. Oh, there were some great games. Twice we played Geelong. 2009, there were some rivers. 2009 as well. 2006, both of those games, yep. Uh, 2010. There weren't too many classics that year. Jono's uh, 300th in 2008. Yeah, 2008. There was a few classics around. Yeah, some great. Mm, I, I reckon. Of good ones. I reckon the. I reckon the one against Essendon in 2000. I think that's. I think that's. I think that's the one to beat. And I think this one goes close. I think they're the two at the moment. I mean, they're all great games, the ones that we've mentioned, but I don't think any of them quite match. Okay, I have done some very dodgy accounting, and. Let's have a look and see where we finish. I have got us at the oh, very point. Is, is, I'm just doing it right now, almost at the end. Okay, uh, there we go. Just, just... If everything works, I've got us in six. This is me being exceptionally dodgy, playing Carlton. But as, easy, as accurate as I can be, but dodgy at the same time. Uh, Carlton in an elimination final. We've never played Carlton in a final before. No, but I've got us in sixth, one game behind the Ds. Sixth? In, in fifth. Wow, you are confident. Uh, just one final bit of news that, that's come through last week. This is sort of more, more housekeeping stuff. But in that Fremantle match in round 21, retro round. Now, uh, looking forward Nick, to that. Nick, we grew up with RoboDog. Like that was the jump of the Bulldogs wore, the RoboDog design. And now it's now it's considered retro. So gives us an idea on just how old we're starting to get. So the Bulldogs yeah, no, we're, will be... We're only, we're only 26, mate. This is crazy. <laughs> I know, and it's considered retro. I was actually showing it to my mum. She couldn't believe that it's been that recent since we wore it. It was only 11 years ago. We're getting old, Nick. Uh, but the Bulldogs will be wearing the RoboDog design for retro round. Uh, it's uh, of a similar design to the match that we wore in 1997 in our last game at the Western Oval. So sort of more of a of the original RoboDog rather than the, the RoboDog that we wore during the 90s. Get on the social media if you haven't seen it. It is excellent. I, I'm, an, I'm still an advocate for the, for the premiership hoops. I'll always prefer them. Uh, but as a one-off, this RoboDog design is, is fantastic. And I'm really tempted to buy it. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm just really tempted to buy it. It's, it's just an excellent design. And I'm really looking forward to seeing some some of the Bulldogs greats like Bontebelli, McRae, and Eugel Hagen potentially wearing it as well. So um, yeah, imagine sure if they had all the that. father's sons wearing that too. That would that. be nice. Libba as well. Libba has worn that before, um, actually. Um, but uh, I, I think that's going to I think that's going to do it for us for another episode of the Salty Bulldog. Um, where we're just another fun episode, everyone. Oh, great stuff. episode! Uh, of course, subscribe to the Salty Bulldog podcast, Spotify, Apple. Uh, the footy live app via Sportsmate, and then Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our website. Check that out as well. Nick, thank you for your time. Good stuff, Matt. Well done, dogs. Thanks to our listeners, wherever you've been tuning in around the world. We look forward to having you join us again next week. But until then, take care. <laughs>